Book three, chapter fifteen of Strangers and Pilgrims by Mary Elizabeth Braddon. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Strangers and Pilgrims, Book three, chapter fifteen. Look on me. There is an order of mortals on the earth who do become old in their youth and die ere middle age without the violence of warlike death some perishing of pleasure some of study some worn with toil some of mere weariness some of disease and some insanity and some of withered or of broken hearts for this last is a malady which slays more than are numbered in the lists of fate taking all shapes and bearing many names elizabeth was better the time had come when she could shape her thoughts into words when dr cameron's kind face smiling gently at her had become something more than a picture when it had ceased also to recall to her first one person and then another faintly remembered among the hazy crowd of former acquaintance the people she had known in the park lane period of her life the time had come at last when she knew him as her custodian though why he should be so she knew not nor yet the meaning of her imprisonment but he seemed to her a person in authority and to him she appealed against her nurses telling him that they had been cruel to her more cruel than words could speak especially her words poor soul which came tremulously from the pale lips and were apt to shape disjointed phrases the nurses strenuously denied the truth of this accusation whereupon dr cameron gently shook his head as who would say poor soul poor soul we know how much significance to attach to her complaints but we may as well humour her so nurse barber and nurse lucas were passed on to another patient in the preliminary and violent stage and lady paulyn was now so fortunate as to be committed to the care of a soft-hearted low-voiced little woman who had none of the vices of the gamp sisterhood this change and a change in her apartments to rooms with a southern aspect looking out upon a flower garden produced a favourable effect the patient began to sleep a little at night awoke from wild dreams of the past recognised the blank lonely present and knew that she was severed from all she had ever loved knew that her dead were verily dead and that the voices she had heard in all those long winter nights had been only dream voices memory was slow to return and the power of consecutive thought ideas flashed across her brain like lightning and ideas that were for the greater part false her mind was like a diamond-cut crystal reflecting gleams of many-coloured light or like a kaleidoscope in which thought was for ever running from one form into another her brain was never quiet it thought and thought and invented and imagined but rarely remembered or only remembered the remote past and even in those memories fact was mixed with fiction books that had impressed her long ago were as much a portion of her life as the actual events of the past and even in her broken memories of books imagination bewildered and deceived her there were poems of byron's the joueur and the prisoner of chillon which in her girlhood she had been able to repeat from the first line to the last she could remember a line here and there now and murmured it to herself sadly again and again 
and out of this grew a fancy that she'd known byron that she'd met him when the white-sailed bark that held genius and shelley vanished from the storm-swept waters this and a hundred other such fancies filled her brain she left off thinking of malcolm ford to think of beings she had never known creatures of her wild imagining left to the companionship of a nurse whose ideas rarely soared above the question of turning a last winter's gown or putting new ribbon on an old bonnet invention supplied the place of society she conversed with phantoms held mysterious communion with shadows were there not people outside her window for whom she had a secret code of signals did she not laugh to herself sometimes at the thought of how she cheated her guardians sometimes she was gay with a feverish gaiety at other times melancholy to despair weeping a rain of tears without knowing why she wept dr cameron being informed of these melancholy fits suggested that she should mix more freely with the other patients that she should spend an hour or two in the drawing-room with the milder cases and even attend the weekly soirees and derive gladness from the lancers and caledonians so one sunny morning when the aspect of nature even in her winter garment was cheerful lady paulyn's nurse led her down to the drawing-room and left her there alone on an ottoman near the fireplace while all the milder cases stared at her with a dreamy indifferent stare but not without some glimmer of sane superciliousness the drawing-room was long and spacious with a fireplace at each end oak panelling and family portraits a room that did really seem a little too good even for the milder cases who were hardly up to oak panelling or the sir joshua reynolds school of portraiture the windows were high and wide and the sun shone in on the scattered figures not grouped about either of the fireplaces but scattered about the length and breadth of the room each as remote as possible from her companions and all idle there they sat solitary among numbers all staring straight before them after that one brief survey of elizabeth some talking to themselves in a dreary monotonous way others silent elizabeth looked around her wonderingly what were they guests in a country house what a strange look they had dressed not unlike other people with faces like the faces of the rest of womankind so far as actual features went and yet with so curious a stamp upon every countenance and every figure and some minute eccentricity in every dress and then that low sullen muttering solitary-looking women complaining to themselves in a hopeless subdued manner then suddenly that low sound of complaint swelled to a little burst of clamour half a dozen shrill voices raised at the same instant a discordant noise as of cats quarrelling which was hushed as suddenly at the behest of a clever-looking little woman dressed in black who walked quickly up and down the room remonstrating there was an open piano by the fireplace elizabeth sat down before it presently and began to play dreamily as if awakening reason found a vague voice in music but she had hardly played a dozen bars when a tall gaunt-looking woman in brown and yellow came up to her and pulled her away from the piano i'll have no more of your noise she said you're always at it and i won't stand it any longer but i never saw you before to-day pleaded elizabeth 
looking at her with innocent wondering eyes eyes that had grown childlike in that long slumber of the mind i can't have annoyed you before to-day stuff and nonsense you have annoyed me you're a detestable nuisance i won't have that piano touched first and foremost it's my property come come mrs sloper said the little woman in black who occupied the onerous post of matron in this part of the establishment you mustn't be naughty you've been very naughty all this morning and i shall really have to complain to mr burley mr burley was the resident medical man a gentleman who enjoyed the privilege of daily intercourse with the cases and had to do a good deal of mild flirtation with the first-class lady patients each of whom fancied she had a peculiar right to the doctor's attention elizabeth wondered a little to hear a broad-shouldered female on the wrong side of forty reproved for naughtiness in the kind of tone usually addressed to a child of six it was strange but no stranger than the rest of her new life there were some books on the table by the fireplace the first books she had seen since her illness she seized upon them eagerly and began to turn the leaves and look at the pictures they seemed to speak to her to be full of secret messages from someone she had loved who was it she had once loved so dearly she couldn't even remember his name oh mamma 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 moaned a lady in an armchair on the opposite side of the hearth a middle-aged lady stout of build with pepper and salt coloured hair neatly plaited and tied up with brown ribbons in the street door knocker style like a schoolgirl's oh mamma mamma she moaned lifting her voice with every repetition of her cry take me home to my mamma miss chiffinch said the matron you really must not go on so you disturb everybody and it is exceedingly silly to talk like that your mamma has been dead for the last twenty years you fool replied miss chiffinch with ineffable scorn if i didn't know that as well as you and then resumed her cuckoo cry oh mamma mamma one young woman with straight brown hair hanging down her back walked about the room in a meandering sort of way trying to fasten herself upon somebody like the boy who wanted the brute creation to play with him and like that idle child was rejected by all she came up to elizabeth presently as if hoping to obtain sympathy from a new arrival my sisters are so happy she said so happy they're all at home and they do enjoy themselves so they're as happy as the day is long don't you think they'd let me go home i do want to go home my sisters are so happy why don't you try to employ yourself miss pocock demanded the busy little matron who was always knitting a stocking and whose needles flew as she walked up and down the room or remonstrated with her charges you'd get well again soon if you tried to do something i'll give you some plain work if you like anything would be better than roaming about like that worrying everybody oh mrs dawlings do let me go home pleaded miss pocock in her drawling tone my sisters are so happy oh dear mr burley this with a little gush as she espied the house doctor entering by a door near at hand 
oh, do let me go home i'll be so grateful and i'll be so good to father and never be troublesome any more my sisters are so happy you should have behaved better when you were at home said mr burley with friendly candour there go along as miss pocock hung upon his arm affectionately and try to get well get some needlework and sit down and keep yourself quiet with this scientific advice mr burley walked on and looked at the other patients with a cool cursory glance at each as if they'd been a flock of sheep and he their shepherd only wanted to assure himself he had the right number this was the ladies drawing-room the gentlemen had their own apartments in the east wing the second-class patients male and female had their apartments in the west wing and there were private sitting-rooms in abundance for patients not well enough or quiet enough for general society the majority of these drawing-room cases were old stagers people who had been in dr cameron's care for years and were likely to end their lives contentedly enough perhaps despite that chronic moaning under his roof they were well fed and living thus publicly under the matron's eye were not much subject to the dominion of cruel nurses they had comfortable rooms good fires weekly hijinks in the winter little dances on the lawn in the summer an annual picnic and in short such small solace as humanity could devise and the slow dull lives they led here could hardly have been much slower or duller than the lives which some people in their right mind lead by choice in a country town elizabeth looked at her fellow patients in a dreamy way turned the leaves of the books reading a few lines here and there the words always assuming a kind of hidden meaning for her as if they had been mystic messages intended for her eyes alone but when the book was closed she had no memory of anything she would read in it she dined with the milder cases male and female in the public dining-room at the request of mr burley who wanted to see the effect of society even such society as that as an awakening influence here the cases behaved tolerably enough though exhibiting the selfishness of poor humanity with an amount of candour which does not obtain in the outside world there was a good deal of grumbling about the viands chiefly in an undertone and the patients were perpetually remonstrating with the serving-man who administered to their wants and who had rather a hard time of it there were even attempts at conversation mr burley saying a few words in a brisk business-like way now and then at his end of the table and the matron politely addressing her neighbours at her end one elderly gentleman with a limp white cravat and watery blue eyes fixed upon elizabeth and favoured her with an exposition of his theological views you have an intellectual countenance madam he said and i think you're capable of appreciating my ideas there is a sad want of intellectuality in people here a profound indifference to those larger questions which no dixon i will not have a waxy potato how many times must i tell you there's a conspiracy in this house to give me waxy potatoes take away the plate sir i was about to observe madam that you have an intellectual countenance and are i doubt not here dixon's arrival with his plate again broke the thread of the elderly gentleman's discourse 
and he branched off into a complaint against the administration for its unjust distribution of gravy, and then began again, and kept on beginning again, with trifling variation of phrase, till the end of dinner. After dinner, Jane Howlett, the nurse, bore Elizabeth away to her own apartment, but here she had now a piano, on which she played for hours together all the old dreamy Mendelssohn and Chopin music which she had played long ago in those dull days at the vicarage, when all her life had been a dream of Malcolm Ford. She played now as she had played then, weaving her thoughts into the music, and slowly, slowly, slowly the curtain was lifted. Sense and memory came back, until one day she remembered that she was Lord Paulyn's wife, and that there was an impassable gulf between her and the man she loved. So one morning, when Dr. Cameron, going his weekly round with Mr. Burley in attendance on him, asked her the old question about her husband in his gentle, fatherly voice, she no longer looked up at him with vague wonder in her eyes, but looked downward with a sad smile, a smile in which there was thought. "'My husband,' she repeated slowly. "'No, I do not want to see him. "'Ours was not a happy marriage. "'He was always very good to me. "'Let me have my own way in most things. "'Only I couldn't be happy with him. "'I used to think that kind of life, "'a fine lady's life, must be happiness. "'But I was punished for my folly. "'It didn't make me happy.' This was by far the most reasonable speech she had uttered since she left Slognadiac, but Dr. Cameron looked at his assistant with a pensive smile. "'Still very rambling,' he murmured, and then he patted Elizabeth's head with his gentlemanly hand. "'You must try to get well, my dear lady,' he said. "'Compose yourself and collect your thoughts, and don't talk too much.' and then I shall soon be able to write to your good, kind husband and tell him that you are better. Don't you think he'll be pleased to hear that? I don't know, answered Elizabeth moodily. If he cared very much, he would hardly have left me here. My dear lady, your coming here was unavoidable, and see what good it has done you. Good? she cried with a wild look. "'You don't know what I've suffered in the horrible room, "'locked in with those brutal women. "'Good! "'Why, between them they drove me mad!' "'This speech cost Elizabeth a melancholy entry "'in the physician's notebook. "'Very little improvement, ideas wild, "'delusion about nurses continues. "'The weekly festive gatherings at which she was now permitted to assist were not enlivening to Lady Paulyn's spirits. She sat on a bench against the wall watching the dancers, who really seemed to enjoy themselves in their diverse manners, except Miss Chiffinch, who was not Terpsichorean, and who sat in her corner and moaned for her mamma, and Miss Pocock, who even in the midst of the Caledonians buttonholed her fellow dancers in order to inform them that her sisters were so happy. Mr. Burley himself assisted at these weekly dances in white kid gloves, and as long as things went tolerably well, made believe that the dancers were quite up to the mark and on a level with dancers in the outside world. Everything was done ceremoniously. The orchestra consisted of a harp, fiddle and clarionet, 
all played by servants of the establishment. Mr. Burley danced with all the more distinguished ladies, curious-looking matrons in high caps and china crepe shawls, whose gloves were too large for them. But this was a peculiarity of everybody's gloves, being bought for them by the heads of the house, with no special reference to size. He asked Elizabeth to dance the first set with him, but she declined. "'I never dance at servants' balls,' she said. "'It's all very well to look on for half an hour, but I should think they would enjoy themselves more if one kept away altogether.' Oh, "'But this is not a servants' ball.' Oh, "'What is it, then?' Mr. Burley was rather at a loss for a reply. Um, a friendly little dance, he said, got up to amuse you all. But it doesn't amuse me at all. I don't know any of these people. They've not been introduced to me. I thought it was a servant's party. Oh, Mr. Burley, do please let me go home, exclaimed Miss Pocock, swooping down upon the superintendent. I do so want to go home. My sisters are so happy. I tell you what it is, Melinda. Miss Pocock's name was Melinda, and being youthful, she was usually addressed by her Christian name. If you don't behave yourself properly, you shall be sent to bed. Home, indeed. Why, you'll have to stop here another twelve months if you go on bothering everybody like this. Oh, Mr. Burley, my sisters are so happy. There'll be tarts and negus presently, won't there? Perhaps, if you behave yourself. Well, then I will. But my sisters are so happy. Mr. Burley pushed her away with a friendly push, and she was presently absorbed in the whirlpool of a set of lancers, and was informing people of her sister's happiness to the tune of When the Heart of a Man is Oppressed with Care. The house-surgeon was more interested in Lady Paulyn than in Miss Melinda Pocock, who was the youngest daughter of an Essex farmer, idle, selfish, greedy and troublesome, and by no means a profoundly interesting case. He talked to Elizabeth for a little, talked seriously, and found her answers grow more reasonable as he went on. Did she remember Scotland and her house there? Oh, yes, she told him with a shudder. She hated the house. But she loved the country, the hills and the wide lakes and the great sea beyond. I should like to live out upon those hills alone all the rest of my life, she said. You must get well and go back there in the summer. Oh, not to that house, to a cottage among the hills, a cottage of my own where I could live by myself. I'll never go back to that house and the people in it. But why do you all talk to me about getting well? There's nothing the matter with me, or at least only my tiresome cough, which will be well soon enough. End of Book 3, Chapter 15